Your old pal, the Crypt Keeper. Tonight's tale of terror comes from the Trick or Treaters podcast. Join them as they journey into the horrifying unknown. <laughs> you are listening to the Trick or Treaters podcast, part of the Slash and Cast Podcast Network. Movie reviews, horror news, and all the gory details. Listen if you dare. And hello everyone and welcome to episode 29 of the Trick or Treaters podcast. I am your host Kyle and as always I'm joined by my wonderful co-host JR. JR, how are you doing today buddy? I am doing well Kyle as we are just you know talking today. It is May the 4th be with you here on the west coast and on your side of town it's Cinco de Mayo. It is. It is indeed. So it's a very I, I I love May. It's my my birthday month, but also these are two very interesting days. You get May the Fourth with me, and while I'm not a a massive Star Wars fan, I really do enjoy the fandom. So get a chance to see a lot of different posts out there. Get a chance to see the movies and now the TV show Mandalorian. Disney just dropped the Bad Batch. I'm really looking forward to because I really got into the Clone Wars when I was uh, in college. So I really, um, as well as the uh, the Star Star Wars Rebels show that came out. So um, really, I'm digging. Hope can't wait to see the Bad Batch. I haven't seen it yet. And as we enter Cinco de Mayo, as you and I are also, you know, wrestling fans, we have. For me, this is probably one of the most anticipated events that we're seeing us on may uh, may 5th which is aw's blood and guts because i'm a huge ftr fan i'm a huge fan of pinnacle and i can't stand inner circle two uh one massive cage over two rings you know throw back to the old school war games uh days of the four horsemen versus the superpowers so i'm really looking forward to it and um and also seeing uh you know for those who don't know, Cinco de Mayo has to do with the the, the battle of the uh, Alamo. And I think I did my history lesson correct on that. It's not Mexican Independence Day. Actually, I think it's battle of Pre- Pre- the Battle of Pueblo. Pueblo, excuse me, not about the Alamo. But the Battle of Pueblo, where that's what Cinco de Mayo is about. But, you know, we get a chance to see, you know, some festive stuff out there. And as we know, last year, we did get people to get a chance to celebrate Cinco de Mayo. Now, as things are Things we get a little bit of sense of normalcy. Things are opening up. I'm sure there's going to be people out there, you know, doing having fun. I myself will have a uh, Mexican cocktail um, that I enjoy when I see Blood and Guts um, when it becomes officially Cinco de Mayo on my side of town. So, other than that, that's a long-winded way of saying it's a good, it's a good couple of days. Oh yeah, it, it's it's gonna be a great day. I'm I'm super excited about it. Uh, have you seen anything uh, anything new or anything uh, interesting here lately? Uh, me and uh, me, my roommate, and and uh, one of my other best friends, uh, we recently uh, watched uh, 
the Mortal Kombat movie on HBO Max, and uh, I I rather enjoyed it uh, 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 quite a bit actually. I, I had a few gripes with it here and there, but overall, I really enjoyed it. Yes, when Mortal Kombat came out, as you, we had talked about it in our previous show, I was really excited about it. I the trailer really got me hyped up about it, and as soon as it, I saw it around noon the day it came out and i enjoyed it i thought they had for the most part i thought they had amazing graphics i thought the fight scenes were great i thought the, the fatalities were amazing um for me the only gripe that i had about it i i know there was a lot of talk about the main character um i think his name was kane who's you know and i'll leave it at that i don't want to say any it spoilers. was a, a, a cult cult i'm sorry um I don't say any spoilers, but that was a complaint because from what I read, people were like, he's not even a character in Mortal Kombat. I'm like, I get it. The only gripe I had was the character Liu Kang because I felt watching the original Mortal Kombat and playing the game throughout the years, especially as you got into the story mode um, around the PS3 days, uh, and that you Liu Kang is kind of a badass and I really felt that he was not a badass in this movie. I think, at, in my estimation, though, is that I think the way that the film played out, and if they do a sequel, I think he's going to become that badass I expected him to in the sequel if they do decide to do one. Um, I will love for them to do a sequel because I would love for more characters to go out there. Um, especially I would love to see the character Nightwolf. Um, there's a lot of, there's references to other characters that we didn't see. And, um, I would really enjoy that. We didn't get to see, you know, another one's like, I would, I don't know I'll say it's a spoiler cause, but Katana isn't in it. So that's another character I would love to see. Um, so, and there'd be, you know, plenty of other ones like Bo Raichu, just the, I'm a very, I love characters and seeing more characters um, from the the video game, I think would be awesome. And it's just, it's very hard to do a video game movie because you really, for the most part, that game until we, I think until more, I'm trying to think, um, I think more combat deadly Alliance on PS2 and Xbox that I think that's like was like the first story mode, maybe more combat four, but for the most part, like the games that I used to play in the arcades, there wasn't a story mode, like it's just you played a tournament. And so, um, I just think it's very hard to translate that into the into a movie. But for the for me, it's all about the fight teams and the fatalities and the characters. So, as long as you see more amazing fight teams, fatalities, and more characters, I'm all for it. They could do 35 movies for like here, and I think it'd be awesome. Yeah, uh, I really hope to see Nightwolf if they do a sequel because uh, I saw that little reference they had on him in the movie and I was like, oh, dude, this would be awesome if we got Nightwolf because I think he'd be a great character. But yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I'm hoping we'll see more sequels and that uh, we'll see more of the characters and stuff. But yeah, you know, I, I, I thought it was pretty decent. Uh, it was, I mean, it was way better than Mortal Kombat Annihilation. The, 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 the that so. <laughs> Um, as you, as everybody knows, you know, I'm a huge fan of James A. Janice and Dead Meat. 
I love that dude. I think he's very, you know, entertaining when he does his 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 kill counts. So he covered Mortal Kombat one and Mortal Kombat Annihilation, which is you know a little bit different than what he typically does, but it has kills, so I completely understand what, you know the reason why. But he covered Mortal Kombat Annihilation, and I didn't realize. Like I knew it wasn't a good movie. I didn't realize how horrible of a movie Annihilation was. Like it is so bad. Like the character changes. You know, a new we got a new Raiden, a new Sonya. Um, even you know, technically you have a new Jax. Shao Kahn just looks like, you know, looks horrible. Um, then they brought in. Um, I didn't even realize it, but they had a Shinnok. You know, Shinnok's being Shinnok is an old man in the nation. Like that's not Shinnok. Like, you know, they did that horrible editing. Um, they there was a a part where in the nation when Liu King in I think Shao Kahn's temple fought a character. I guess was that was supposed to be like Baraka, and he throws this character into like a fiery pit, and it showed like in the edits that. Well, when he threw Barack into a fiery pit, it was actually somebody else. And all I did was like copy and paste when Shao Kahn threw one one of his fighters into a fiery pit. So all I did was all I did was just copy and paste that scene because they didn't want to dub it over with Liu Kang throwing Baraka into the fiery pit. I mean the the CGI was just god awful. Like I seen Super Mario Brothers had better graphics than freaking um Mortal Kombat Annihilation, like that movie was just so terrible. Wow. Uh, you said that you, uh, uh, you said you didn't like Blue King, right? Yeah. Uh, I, I, have you, did you see the Power Rangers movie? I'm sorry, say that one more time. Did you see the Power Rangers movie, the most recent one? Yeah. Oh, okay. Did you notice who Liu Kang was? That's not him, is it? Yeah, he 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 played Zack in the Power Rangers movie. I never even. I <laughs> well, they looked completely different because right. Liu Kang has long hair, and Zack in the Power Ranger reboot has short hair. Yeah. I never even connected the dots. Yep. Yeah, it's, it's the same guy. But I also felt like Luke Kang was kind of done wrong in that movie because, I mean, I remember playing Mortal Kombat and Luke Kang was, like, a, one of the main characters and was, like, you know, a badass. And this one, I mean, he was basically just a, a side character that really wasn't that great. Yeah, and what I think would would happen, I the, the and, like, again, I don't want to say spoilers, um, I think the way that the film played out is something in that film makes him stronger and becomes a more dominant character um, because of that. Um, I like, and so I think that's what is going to happen is that he has to, he has no choice but to come into his own because of the events of Mortal Kombat. So if they do a sequel, I definitely would expect him to take on a bigger role and also be more, you know, authoritative, more leader, uh, become a leader for, you know, Earthrealm's warriors, so to speak. So um, I definitely see a lot changing. But um, like I said, I, 
I personally didn't have a you know, like I said that was my only issue was Luke King. I think with everybody else though, um I think you would potentially the the complaints I had was like they felt like it was it was so far off of like the you know the whole concept of more combat. There are so many comparisons to the original, um, which I I get, but I just thought that between the graphics, the the some of the story arc, especially I mean you could everybody can see the story arc on YouTube of Scorpion and Sub Zero like it's on YouTube right now like the HBO I think or or a Warner Brothers released like the first seven minutes of Mortal Kombat. So, you know, a big part of it is Scorpion and Sub-Zero. And so I thought that was done great. Um, the one thing, like I said, it'll be interesting to see where they go in the future, uh, especially, if, you know, if they... We do know that um, Shang Tsung is, was in the movie, but if they have a sequel, will he be in the sequel? Um, as well as, could we see Shao Kahn? Could we see Lord Shinnok? Um, could we see Quan Chi? Like, there's so many different, like, yeah, you know, I'm per, I'm personally open for Noob Saibot. Oh, I mean, I think we go between Noob Saibot to Cyrax to, yeah, I mean, Rep, I mean, I liked, um, I said I was a big fan of Nightwolf, and I'm trying to think of some of the other characters off the top of my head, um. You know, I think like even like you know, Striker. Like, where does Striker come into play? Like, where does um, do we see Goro? Do we see um, not well, Goro? I'm sorry. Um, well, well, we saw Goro in this one. No, I'm, I'm confusing him with um. I can't yeah. the horse, the horse guy from Mortal Kombat Three. Oh yeah, I know you're talking about yeah. Um, and then could we see like Shiva? Like, there's I mean, there's so many. I think I remember playing Mortal Kombat Armageddon which was like the last game for PS2. I mean, there's at least 50 characters, if not more now, especially as we got into the other ones. I mean, there was, do we see um, like a rain? Do we see um, Senshi? I mean, there's so, like I said, there's so many characters. And then I know as, as we've got into like the PS3 and PS4 games, the big one, like the big antagonist is between Shao Kahn and Quan Chi and Shinnok. Like, would they play a role in it if they, they make a sequel? So. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, as much as I'd love to sit and talk about Mortal Kombat more, that's not what the listeners are here for. Uh, for all those uh, li- uh, listening, of course, you know you, you know what you're here for. The episode uh, title says it all. Today we are talking about one of my uh, one of my favorite films, and definitely like one of the biggest cult cult uh, films uh, in recent time. Uh, we're talking about uh, the OG 1981, The Evil Dead, and uh, Jr. Uh, I'm a uh, how did you uh, feel about the movie? Like, uh, when's the first time you saw this, or anything like that? So, as I mentioned in our the bonus episode we did, where we covered sequels to end the month of April. I saw Army of Darkness first with Bruce Campbell, 
And then when I got to college, I ended up around Halloween, a little over a decade ago, I ended up purchasing Evil Dead 1 as well as Evil Dead 2 on DVD so I could sit down and watch them. And I always heard that, you know, Evil Dead, the original, is a lot different than Army of Darkness. And so I sat down and watched it, you know, like it's about 12 years ago. And I enjoyed it. It's a lot different than Army of Darkness by far. Um, this film is a, is yeah. a legit, straight horror, demonic possession film. Yes. And how the characters in the film deal with that. It is the one thing I noticed though, watching it again, it is a extremely fast paced, quick watch. This is probably one of the most yeah. quick films, fast paced, like, you know, short films I've seen in a long time. It's an hour and 25 minutes, 85 minutes. That's basically like to put that into perspective. That's essentially if you're watching, like if you had like a TV on like DVD. So for example, like I'm a big fan of Big Bang Theory. That's like, that's four like sitcom shows with no commercials. Like that is not long at all. Like you, you literally, if you sit down and you start that movie at 5 p.m., you'll be done probably like by 6 22 because i'm not entirely sure if that full 85 minutes is that i always get confused if that includes credit or not credits but it is a a by far very quick watch and like i said it starts you know picking up and um you know one thing the more you know watching again i really um enjoyed especially you know talking with you and talking with some of our colleagues about horror films, I really enjoy practical effects and seeing the practical effects used in this. Some of it's kind of like, well, it's not as realistic. Obviously, you know, depending on what you believe, the demonic possession or not, exorcism, stuff like that. But some of it's a little bit over the top. But some of it, I was like, you know, that's, you know, that's a great job. Like, you know, this is especially when it's shot. You know, it's a great use of practical effects. In my eyes. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. There's some really good practical effects in this movie, and it's it's a very low budget movie. Uh, so before, before we get into the budget, though, like, so this is based off of a short film called Within the Woods, which is basically what serves as a prototype that allowed Sam Raimi, the director to secure $90,000 to produce the film. The the film was considered uh, a hardship for the cast and crew because it was filmed at an actual abandoned cabin outside Morristown, Tennessee, secluded from the nearby uh, town. Now, uh, I've been trying to find find where this is. I'm sure if I look more on the internet, I can find the exact location because apparently the cabin burnt down and all that was left was a chimney and according to rumors, uh, the director, uh, Sam Raimi, and, and people in the cast member claims that they made like a time capsule uh, uh, of stuff uh, from the film uh, and left it in the chimney for, for somebody to find. And I don't know if anyone's ever found that. Or I'm sure someone's found it, but I, don't, I haven't seen anything saying that somebody has found it or not. I think that'd be an awesome freaking thing to find. Uh 
But uh, d- despite all the hardships, it, it, the film was actually released with very positive reviews. It even included a very uh, a review from Stephen King himself, who said it was the most ferociously original horror film of the year. And uh, that allowed it to secure an international distributor uh, uh, by High New Line Cinema. And currently the film holds a 98% approval rate on Rotten Tomatoes, and it is considered to be one of the largest cult films of all time. Uh, you, know, you know, everybody knows Bruce Campbell as, as Ash Williams in this movie. But this, this is the movie that pretty much made him and Sam Raimi it pretty much launched their careers. And uh, as our friends, uh, as our friend Brian from Dead in Santa Carla said on our last episode, if you listen to our horror sequels episode, he, he, he put it best. He said that it's a shame that Bruce Campbell never became an A-list actor because he's the best damn B-list actor in the world. And I couldn't say it better myself. He definitely is. Uh, what's funny, uh, uh, another cool thing about Bruce Campbell, I don't know if you know this, Jay, or not, but uh, in order to help Sam Raimi finish the film, Bruce Campbell actually put up his family's property in northern Michigan as collateral uh, so that he could help Sam Raimi finish the film and blow it up to 35 millimeters of the film, which was required for a theatrical release. And Raimi was so grateful for him doing that, that he credited him credited Bruce Campbell as a co-producer on the film. Yeah. One of the things I had read about it was that essentially um, the budget at the time from what I read was approximately $350,000. And to put that into perspective, that is approximately over beyond inflation. That's over a million dollars today. So imagine that Sam Raimi, you know, believes in this film as well as Bruce Campbell. They essentially, from what I read between their families, crowdsource the budget for this film, you know, in their own family. So this is long before, you know, things like Kickstarter and Indigo and stuff like that, which we've seen used to make fan films or, or other films. I think, you know, for example, I think Kickstarter funded the Veronica Mars movie. So imagine just being like, uh, you have a, you know, a few friends, four or five, they're like, hey, you know, we, you know, we believe in this film and we think this film is going to be great. And we need to get some money together to shoot it and, and, and everything. And they did all that within themselves, you know, they, you know, private funding. And I cannot imagine, especially at that time, if I'm not mistaken, you know, not to get into politics, but I think that was like during a really bad, um, that was like, you know, the eighties going from, uh, Jimmy Carter to Reagan was like a really bad, um, economy situation at the time. From my understanding, I wasn't born then, but from what I read is that the economy wasn't in a good place. And so that must've been very difficult having to do that. Yeah, it. I mean, it shows that they really believed in this film to, you know, risk losing his parents' home over it. It's it's, it's a hell of a of a way to show that you believe in your film. And 
just so like one of the things you mentioned I want to go back to is that you know Stephen King gave it a lot of praise and said it was like the best best film of the year in that year 1981 we're talking about Friday 13th part 2 the debut of Jason Voorhees Halloween 2 which I think is one one of the best sequels especially in horror genre but ever you know just in general it's I love Halloween 2 um my bloody valentine i mean those are like really you know three films to go with this evil dead like those are in my opinion you know especially the franchises of halloween or friday the 13th you know those are and my bloody valentine has it you know called following we saw a remake we we covered my bloody valentine during Valent you know february those are four important films that all came out in the same year and for 1981 to say that this film evil dead stood out among all of them and not to mention any other you know horror film of 1981 i just think that that's a you know pretty big acknowledgement especially on behalf of you know the greatest you know horror writer of all time Oh yeah, that's a that's a hell of a of an acknowledgement. Uh, what's uh, interesting is uh, so Sam and Sam Raimi, the director, and Bruce Campbell. They're actually friends from high school. Uh, they apparently collaborated and made a bunch of Super 8 films together. And they'd often collaborate with, like, Sam's brother, Ted Raimi. And uh, Campbell, uh, out of the, the group, he basically became the actor of their friend group because he was, uh, uh, as Sam Raimi quoted, uh, one of the girls, he was the one that girls wanted to look at. Yeah, uh, well, one thing I noticed about this, um Bruce Campbell that dude has a granite concrete chin and yeah I mean back in 1981 I completely see it he's a strapping good looking man but man dude that dude has a chin on him that I think you could cut diamonds with yeah man he's he's a beautiful man it's I, I just still don't understand how the hell he never went on to be like an A-list actor. And and put it in perspective, when we said, you know, one thing you mentioned is put them on the map. You know, Sam Raimi, uh, he go, directs Evil Dead, Evil Dead 2, Army of Darkness. There's some other films. Uh, but, man, he starts, you talk, a, I'll give you a comparison. One of the things that was always interesting to me was my favorite film of all time is The Godfather. Godfather, mafia film. Uh, directed by Francis Ford Coppola. They come to find out he also directed The Outsiders. Completely different film. But Ben, when you see Sam Raimi's, you know, his credits, he goes from there. Then he directs a, he ends up directing a Western style film with Gene Hackman um, and Leonardo DiCaprio called The Quick and the Dead, 1985. Then he directs in 1999 a film uh, that I actually enjoy 
It's a baseball love film with Kevin Costner and the late Kelly Preston called for love of the game. Then he ends up directing Spider-Man one, two and three, the original sequel with Tobey Maguire. Then he ends up directing and writing, um, drag me to hell, which I've seen that film in 2009. But the next two films after that, that he's directed in 2013, the, uh, Oz, the great and powerful with, um, Mila Kunis, Rachel Weiss, and uh, and then coming in 2022, he's directing the Doctor Strange sequel. Yeah, man, he's I, I cannot wait for that Doctor Strange sequel, especially and that that doesn't even include everything that that he also has produced. He produced Time Cop. He produced a bunch of episodes of of Xena uh, and Hercules. He produced Boogeyman. Um, he produced the Evil Dead um, reboot. I mean, there is. I mean, you talk about spectrum. I mean, God, this dude has a one of the biggest ranges probably ever. When you look at what he, what he has covered. I mean, baseball love story, Doctor Strange sequel, Spider Man, Evil Dead. I mean, I don't think you get as we're talking about complete ends of the spectrum. I don't think you get any more diverse than Sam Raimi's, um, uh, Sam Raimi's directing credits. And in addition to that, I just also mentioned his producer. He's also, you know, had some roles in a lot of different films, as you know, cameo films. Like he was, um, I just I didn't even notice he had a a minor. A cameo in the Flintstone film with John Goodman, Rosie O'Donnell, and um, I can't think of his name, uh, Rick, uh, Rick Moranis, the 1994 film, uh, the Flintstones live action. Like, this, I just, it, it amazes me as I'm talking about it, this, how diverse his credits are, Sam Raimi. Yeah, that's, that's, that's insane. <laughs> uh, so, uh, going back to Bruce Campbell, what's interesting is that he not only was he doing like acting and you know him putting up his parents' home to help pay for the movie, uh, when there wasn't any filming like during on set, Bruce Campbell would actually go and help out the crew in prepping shots and props around the set as well. So like, man, this this dude can do it all. Yeah, I mean. One of the things I'd read, and we could, you know, get into this a little bit of the background right now, was that as this the film was financed essentially by themselves, is that essentially the whole, from my understanding, and correct me if I'm wrong, Kyle, the whole crew, cast and crew, was essentially friends and family members. That yeah, all uh, that all basically you know worked together in. Um, from my understanding, some horrible conditions um, to pull this film off. Like there were, they said there was a people sleeping in the same room because they had nowhere to go sleep at. They said yeah, when they're on everybody, uh, everybody slept in the cabin, you know, yeah, the abandoned cabin that they slept in. There was like something like over thirteen people in that cabin sleeping in there. And uh, apparently there was like uh, there was no water, so like most of them didn't shower, didn't get a shower or anything for many days. And uh, 
it was cold during the winter. Uh, and at the end of the filming, they actually burnt like a ton of furniture to try and keep warm. Apparently, it was like really grueling conditions. So, no water, no electricity, freezing in a stinky, smelly old cabin. Um, I mean, you talk about for the love, <laughs> the love, the love of movies and the love of acting and and all that. You know, talk about paying your dues. I don't think that's pretty hardcore. I think after about the second day, I'd be like, I'm going home. Yeah, uh, on top of uh, on top of all those problems, so uh, like we mentioned before, Bruce Campbell, you know, put up his parents' home in Michigan as collateral to help finish the movie. The reason he did that was because the film actually ran out of money when only half of it was completed in d- during the winter of 1980. In order to finish completing it, Sam Raimi, Rob Taper, and Bruce Campbell they did everything they could to complete, complete the film. Uh, like I said, Campbell took out high interest bank loans and others did too. They borrowed money from friends and family and they even made cold calls to businesses around around the, their hometown state of uh, Michigan. The cold calls actually worked in that they actually got catering, gasoline, and other necessities that the cast and crew needed in order to finish the film. No, I mean, we we had covered the in October the 1978 film Halloween which everybody knows is my favorite horror film and there were I mean tight budget constraints that we had talked about on that film and but this by far the the things that I've read surrounding this film just blows it out of the water I mean they are, were I mean they were not you know tight budgeted they were they had no budget to do this film and the things they're able to accomplish with that and how much work and effort they put into it is just insane. Yeah, it's, uh, it's the same. The, the, this is the definition of a cult film, like to a T and I mean, it, it paid off. Uh, it, it's actually considered, uh, uh, in 1981, it was one of the highest-rated video rentals of the year. So, uh, one of the things I wanted to ask. So, I mentioned the budget, but when I was reading about the the gross, or excuse me, the box office, it had a very wide range. I saw it said from three million to about thirty million, and I had no idea. Like, okay, that's way too far of a gap to. For that to make sense so do you have any uh from your research any actuals of how much the this this movie made worldwide uh according to this it says it made 29.4 million that was a, that was the gross okay yeah that's what so i think part of that was i think it made about three million domestically but over the entire you know worldwide box office was about thirty million. Yeah, and it only had a budget of three hundred fifty thousand, so they knocked it out of the park. Highly successful. But uh, that being said, I guess we'll get straight to it. Uh, like I said before, we're talking about nineteen eighty uh, 
1981's The Evil Dead. Hit the trailer. Stephen King, author of Carrie, said, Evil Dead is the most ferociously original horror film of the year. If you think he's kidding, see for yourself. Evil Dead, they got up on the wrong side of the grave. Evil Dead, from New Line Cinema. All right, so, talking about uh, The Evil Dead, uh, uh, released in October October 15th, 1981, uh, written and directed by Sam Raimi, stars Bruce Campbell, Ellen Sandwitz, uh, Hal Delrich, Betsy Baker, Sarah, and Sarah York. It was distributed by New Line Cinema, uh, has a runtime of 85 minutes, and we, we wanted the budget, but just again, to, collaborate, to elaborate, it, the budget was $350,000, and it grossed uh, approximately $29.4 So, the this movie focuses on we have five main characters and they're they're Michigan State University students. We have uh, Ash Williams, uh, played by Bruce Campbell. We have his girlfriend Linda, and accompanied by them is Ash's sister Cheryl, their friend Scotty, and his girlfriend Shelley. And they're going to the Tennessee Hills to a vac. Uh, to vacation in an isolated cabin for their spring break. Okay, what college student spring spends their spring break at an isolated cabin? Don't shouldn't you be going? I mean, I know, I know this is like you know the eighties, but shouldn't you still be going to like the beach and and, and shit? Yeah. So, in you know, from my understanding, you know, and what I've seen during spring break, we're talking about. Their uh, Lake Havasu, which I believe is in Arizona. Uh, we're talking about Padre Island, which I believe is around Texas. I think I said that correctly. You're talking about uh, Panama City Beach, Florida, Fort Lauderdale. Um, I mean, you're talking about beaches, even Myrtle Beach, North Carolina. I mean, tons of beaches during spring break that are filled across. Uh, any sort of bottle of water, bo- body of water that is connected to the United States, even especially, it's interesting to me because they're from uh, Michigan State. In Michigan, you have lakes, and I'm pretty certain that I've read that Lake Michigan gets pretty, you know, heavy with college students during spring break. So, yeah. going through an abandoned cabin in, in the Tennessee. middle of the woods in Tennessee um, it's not clicking for me I, I, I don't see it I just, I just don't understand but anyway uh, yes they're, they're doing that and what's great is that when the movie started we have this really cool opening shot of of uh, it, it's it's the, the evil force or the demonic spirit or whatever you want to refer to it as you don't see it but you just see like a, a camera like zooming in and like it, it's like a flyover shot uh it, it's like it's coming at them uh and that was actually achieved by uh bruce campbell was pushing sam raimi in a, sam raimi in a dinghy while he filmed the shot i thought that was really neat But uh, after that opening, after this opening, this opening bit, so like they, you know, they're going to this cabin in the middle of the 
uh, in the middle of the hills in Tennessee for spring break, and immediately they're running into trouble. Uh, first, they avoid getting hit by 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 another motorist on the uh, on the highway, like just like barely move out of the way and uh, miss getting hit. And then when they're when they they have to go across this really like terrible looking bridge, like I would not trust driving over it at all. And obviously they shouldn't have either. Uh, they drive over the bridge, and as they're on the bridge, uh, uh, it actually begins to collapse as they cross, and they end up uh, actually one of their wheels falls in, and so I mean immediately from there, I would say, okay, fuck this, we're gonna go somewhere else. <laughs> this is two things now that we've narrowly avoided. I've always said that if there's ever been two things that go wrong, I'm going home before the third thing goes wrong. So after those two things, I'd, I'm out. I'm turning that car back around, going back to Michigan. Right. I mean, I would have too, but they didn't. They didn't listen. So, uh, you know, th- they end up making it to the cabin and everything. And then later that night, Cheryl is, she's making a drawing of like a clock and her hand actually becomes violently possessed by by this mysterious entity, and it causes her to draw what looks like a deformed, evil face. But okay, here's the thing: she didn't even mention this to any anybody at all. She just dismissed. Uh, she just chalked it up to being part of her imagination. Like, <laughs> how do you feel about that, Jr.? Well, I will say in. To be fair, if something like that happened to me, I probably would keep quiet because they would everyone would think I was crazy. So I could see why she kept quiet on that, even though, especially when you're seeing it, it's a very violent act of her hand, you know, being possessed and her as she's drawing this clock begins to draw um a face. And so I probably wouldn't say anything either, to be quite honest, because I just don't, I don't want if I was there with friends, I don't want thinking like, what is wrong with him? Like, he's probably already he's taking some sort of psychedelic drug. He's probably smoking too much weed. He's probably drinking too much. He's going crazy. Just cut him off. Yeah. Uh, so later that night, they're having dinner, and a trap door to the cellar just flies open <laughs> while they're having dinner. I don't know about you, JR, but I'd be wanting to get the hell out of that cabin, like, already, immediately. I, I would have left it before the bridge, but when we almost fell through the bridge, but that's just me, though. When you're, the cabin itself, when you see it, I mean, God, why would you even I, I can't stress enough why would you even be in this cabin i mean it looks like it looks like a giant outhouse like i've seen barns that look in better shape than this shitty cabin i can't stress enough when you you know hopefully people are listening i've seen the film before they listen to us if you haven't stop right now watch the film they get back to this point but this cabin is just a giant pile of just shit it looks like it's falling apart like you're by just stepping into it you're probably gonna need to get a tetanus shot because of how horrible this cabin looks 
and then when you see this this door open fly fly open fly open it's just like man between everything is just like why would you continue to stay here and especially in isolation yeah they they should have just from seeing the cabin itself i've been like okay yeah i'm out of here but they didn't uh so after the door the trap door flies open scotty goes down to investigate and he's down there for a little bit and they're calling for him and he's not calling back so ash tells uh finally says that he'll go down there and check it out and he uh, he goes down there and stuff and we see we see the cellar and stuff and it, it looks the cellar looks really creepy and uh something really cool there uh there's some like uh, it's like uh, what do they call them? It's like gourds and like there's other like stuff hanging from the ceiling, and that's actually a uh, that's actually that's actually an homage to the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which is which is really cool that they did that. Uh, One of the things I thought was also kind of interesting is there was a ripped poster from the 1977 uh, original film, The Hills Have Eyes. Yes, yes. So I thought, I thought that was kind of cool because one is just any time that, like, for example, when one of our favorite from Scream showed, you know, they were watching Halloween and then circle back, Halloween H2O was showing Scream 2. I just always think that's cool. So for them to do that... Um, I just always like, oh, that's kind of a neat, you know, aspect is that they are acknowledging another film. Yeah. uh, The reason they did that was because, uh, so uh, in, uh, in the Hills Have Eyes, in in that, that year, that version of the movie, the the OG Hill Hill Has Eyes, uh, there is a ripped poster of Jaws that came before that movie uh, in the film. And basically, it's basically them saying they put that in there saying that their film in a way to kind of communicate that their film is going to be scarier than Jaws. So they put this poster up to kind of, to uh, kind of play off on that by basically saying that it's going to be scarier than the Hills have eyes. And, and uh, throughout many other movies, like you mentioned, there's, there's little stuff like this that directors do put other movie posters in their film to pay, you know, tribute to that film, but also say, you know, mine's going to be scarier or something like that. Oh, uh, one of the things I wanted to make mention, um, since we're in this part as they're in this, uh, essentially basement is number one. I've always had a fascination with basements and attics. So when I was younger, we used to visit my aunt in, in Colorado and they had a basement and I just, I don't know why I think it's the coolest thing ever. But um, one of the things I found out uh, was this basement didn't exist. Yeah, yeah, this wasn't actually in the cabin. They filmed this elsewhere at a farmhouse. Well, from what I what I had read and found out, and I don't know, um, is that they actually made this basement. Oh, oh okay. I, I must so, have read something else that they did with the farmhouse. So you know, it's it's possible. I mean, I'm not. The story that I had listened to and read was that 
this basement didn't exist the trap you know the trap door and everything and that they and I, I could be wrong but from what i read was that they literally cut a hole into the floorboard and dug eight feet deep and from what looks like it's probably 12 12 feet long with the width of about four or five feet if that's true and that's what they did that is i can't even imagine how horrible it was they did that because just doing you know household you know outdoor work like you know planting trees digging a hole in the sense of like i'm looking to dig like a three foot hole by like a foot wide is a massive you know pain as it is and so to dig something that's eight feet deep by itself is i couldn't even imagine but then adding that width and that length and then how dangerous it is because the possibility of cavens. Like I hope what I read and looked into um isn't true because I was I mean, you talk about I mean they could have if that's true, they could have, you know, they could have died because if that that could have had to cave in and if it caves in, especially with the house on the the cabin on top, I mean they're you're talking about they're done. Like there is no coming back from that. Especially in the middle, the the middle of the woods. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm trying to find where I read. Yeah, yeah here it is. Uh, it's uh, it says uh, it doesn't say anything about them them making the cabin, but uh, yeah, yeah, here it is. So the cabin didn't actually have a cellar. Uh, the cellar scenes were filmed in the stone cellar of a farmhouse owned by the producer Rob Tapert's family in Michigan. The uh, the last room of the cellar was actually Sam Raimi's garage. The uh, the scene where you see them descend into the cellar, the uh, a hole was cut into the floor, and a shallow pit was dug, and a ladder was placed into the pit. So, which makes sense because we'll get to the point, but even that aspect, so that is still technically like about a seven or eight foot hole that they did dig, but now it's said being 12 feet long or where it's still, it's probably about a, a foot. I'm trying to think of how long, probably about a foot and a half by a foot and a half, you know, the length width, but it's still like seven, eight feet deep, man. That's just, I'm going to tell you, after that, those guys are probably, whoever dug that hole, they probably took a day off of work because that would have been, that's just a horrible, uh, just digging holes are not fun. So I just, I thought that was interesting of just, oh, yeah. that that just adds into how much work and effort that everybody put into this film. Yeah, it's lots of work and love went into this film. Oh. So, you know, Ash goes down to the cellar. He's looking for Scotty. And eventually, Scotty tries to scare, uh, jumps out and scares him. And, and, you know, I, if I was Ash, I, I would have been pissed. I probably would have punched Scotty, the fact that he'd sat there in the cellar and didn't. And they called out for him and he didn't answer just so that he could try and scare him. Like, what an asshole. Uh, Scotty shows them. Uh, the, they continue, Ash and Scotty continue to go investigate. And they end up coming across a book. And it's called the. Uh, I'm gonna butcher this name. Not a uh, Honduran 
Kimanto, which translate rough, uh, roughly in Sumerian to Book of the Dead. And al- along with the Book of the Dead, they find a tape recording of incantations, which when they play the incantations, it unleashes evil demons and spirits, but they're obviously unaware of, uh, unaware of that. You know, I've always said never tempt fate, you know, never, never mess with, you know, forces that you don't understand. That's just, again, one of those things where just like, why, why are you doing this? Put it down, go away. Yeah, don't. So, you know, lesson here, do not play tape recorders you find in abandoned cabins. And, you know, to add to that, any when you start hearing things, I don't know, it's because of our predisposition of watching these films and, you know, but, you know, this is ancient Sumerian and this Kandarian text. And you see this book and it's just kind of like, the, the I would make a beeline to that car and get out of there because it's just like nothing good can come from that. You know, granted they, you know, the early eighties was a different time and, coming from the seventies where it was, you know, peace, love and rock and roll, but still it was just, like I said, I don't know if it's our predisposition and of seeing films like this, but yeah, it's like, I would, if I saw that, if I saw anything look like that book, I'm walking the other direction. Yeah. And that's definitely what they should have done. But instead they end up bringing everything back upstairs and they play the tape recorder and, you know, you're hearing these incantations and this Latin being spoken over this this thing. And uh, Cheryl actually becomes hysterical. Uh, and you know, she wants them to turn it off and stuff, but and then they eventually do. But a tree crashes through the window. And so after that, you know, she's, she's had it for the night and she ends up going to her room. After this, uh, she... Uh, she uh, she's actually uh, she starts hearing voices, and she goes outside to investigate. Uh, and you know it's just her, and she ends up going out in the woods. She's you know far away from the safety of the cabin, and this scene is 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 one that's a little hard to watch because uh, I mean it leaves no no room for imagination. Uh, and you know, if you're watching the movie for the first time, if uh, you know this is your trigger warning, you may need to skip skip this part. Because I mean, I mean, there's really no better way, no other way to say this. I mean, she is essentially attacked and raped by demonically possessed trees. So. You know, watching this film for the first time and seeing this and previously watching other horror films, I think this was it was very surprising seeing this this scene because this isn't something that you know not, granted I didn't grow up in the seventies and eighties, but I would think is a little bit you know, way too far over the line. I mean, we're talking about you know, for us, how many reviews we've done, you know, with films being released in the 80s, 
there's films that have had too much blood, too much violence, that they've tried to give NC-17 ratings. I'm shocked that this somehow made it through, um, that this was allowed to essentially be published because it is not, you know, it's not left to the imagination. You could clearly see what's happening. And while it doesn't, there is no direct, there is no direct, you know, footage of this, you know, of actual, you know, the trees doing what it did, but obviously, you know, based on the shots that was taken, you could tell this is what the tree, you know, what was happening. And, um, I just, I didn't understand it. There's no point to it. I, you know, it was, it wasn't necessary. Um, and I do know, cause I saw, a, a, I don't know how long ago the, the documentary or interview was, but Sam Raimi did come out and said, I regret doing this scene. Um, it was a scene that shouldn't have been done. I obviously, I apologize if I offended anybody. And his whole thing, and he said it in the interview, was that I I want to entertain people. I want to have people experience emotions. I don't want to offend anybody. And it's a very graphic, a very offensive uh, you know, scene that... Um, that it just it wasn't necessary because it, it literally had there had no it didn't do anything to um move the story along like and i'll give a comparison as i remember I, I never watched the original but i remember watching i believe it was glass house on the on the left where a the antagonist attacked and sexually assaulted um the daughter of who would end up being the protagonist in the film. And that is, it was a very graphic and very brutal scene, but you could understand why this moved along the, the story of the film. This man was getting, you know, the person was getting revenge, you know, for what happened to his daughter. Um, in that aspect, this, in comparison to what we saw in Evil Dead, this had there was no correlation, nothing at all. I mean, you could have done the exact same thing where the trees were just violently, you know, assaulting her, like just hitting her, and she would, comes where we saw she would end up coming running into the cabin and just all beat up, and that's all we needed to see. And the other thing was interesting is that the the um, I, the character which she did an interview that every she she was a part of it and she knew that her legs you know obviously she saw her legs get knew it was going to be spread apart but the other aspects of that scene was shot without her knowledge in the sense of like it was done in the the way it was edited and put together was done in post production oh wow so i bet if she actually knew what was going to happen she probably wouldn't have agreed to do that yeah, I mean, I, I just, it's just why. that That's my question is, like, if I got, if somebody was like, Jerry, you want to sit down and interview Sam Raimi about Evil Dead, this would be a question is that, why why did you think this was a good idea? Or why did you feel like this was a important part, of, important aspect to the film? Yeah, I completely agree with you. It's, uh, it's a very unnecessary scene. There's so much other things they could have done to show that the trees, you know, 
that there was a demonic possession of the trees and that, you know, they were in danger. They could just like JR said, just, you know, assaulted her and then, then she runs away. There was no, no need whatsoever for this to happen. And it was completely unnecessary. And this is like legitimately my own, one of my only issues with the movie that um, I really don't like at all. And yeah, this is very unnecessary scene. Uh, I'll say if, if you can or stuff like that, just, just skip it. You're not missing anything with the film. Uh, as JR said, though, he, uh, she did escape and she runs back to the cabin and she tells everybody her story, but of course, no one wants to believe her. But uh, Ash eventually agrees to drive her to town so she can find a place to stay for the night. Now, I don't know if you noticed, JR, there's a funny part in this, and uh, I'm trying to make sure I get the right name. Yeah. Oh, right, so when she returned, when Cheryl, when Cheryl returns to the cabin, you see after she tells her story, you see Scott. He comes in to say something, and then he stops. He throws his head back, and he and he walks out of the shot. Do you know what happened? No. The the actor uh, Richard Hamanicor, he actually blew his line. He just completely blew his line. And, and and stepped out, and they kept the shot in. <laughs> that is um, that's interesting. But uh, you know, Ash agrees to drive her to town, so th- they get in the car and they drive out. But and they end up ended up uh, getting back at the bridge, and they find that the bridge has been completely destroyed. So they are essentially stuck because they don't know of any kind of alternate path out. The bridge was the only way connecting the cabin to the rest of the world. And while this is happening, uh, back at the cabin, uh, the girls are playing cards but Cheryl becomes demonically possessed and she starts telling them that the demons will kill them. And eventually she falls, she falls to the ground and she, this this scene was freaking insane. She pulls out a pencil and she stabbed Linda in the ankle with a pencil. And like, you see the pencil go in and blood uh, comes, uh, comes uh, gushing out. It's pretty insane. Um, when I saw that scene, the oh man, sometimes I see things happen in a film, and all I do is when I saw it, I literally grabbed my ankle and just was like, I feel like my stomach like wrenching, like, oh my God, like I feel like I'm gonna fall, fall, like, you know, I'm sitting down watching it, but I still feel like I'm gonna fall over because I felt like my Achilles just got ripped out from underneath me. Like, I feel it was happening to me. I mean, it was, uh, like I said, we talk about practical effects, this was. I think this was amazingly done. Yeah, great practical effects. I mean, this very graphic scene. I mean, you see everything, and and the way uh, Cheryl looks possessed is really really good too. Uh, after this, Scott Scotty ends up locking Cheryl into the cellar, and next, Shelley becomes possessed, 
she attacks Scotty, but Scotty eventually dismembers her with an axe. <laughs> he, he didn't fucking, he didn't fuck around. Like, he wasn't even going to try and take any chances. <laughs> uh, they end up burying her, and Scotty, who's, you know, he's emotionally shaken by having to kill Linda. I mean, uh, uh, not Linda, uh, by having to kill uh, Shelly, that he ends up uh, leaving to try and find an alternate trail through the woods. So now, uh, checking on Linda, uh, you know, who just had a fucking pencil shoved through her ankle, Ash ends up discovering that she too has become possessed. <laughs> Damn, who, who isn't possessed at this point? But uh, unlike the others, though, Linda isn't making any attempts to attack him, which is weird. Scotty ends up uh, returning later on, and he's got he has grave injuries caused by the possessed trees. But um, before he he ends up falling and. and uh, he ends up falling unconscious, but before he does, he tells Ash that an alternate trail does exist. Uh, after this, Linda and Cheryl uh, try and deceive Ash into believing that they are no longer possessed, but it's, it's, un it's unsuccessful. Ash doesn't believe them, and they end up attacking him again. He locks Linda outside the cabin, and he tends to Scotty's injuries. But she sneak, but uh, she ends up sneaking in through the back door and attacks uh, Ash with a ceremonial dagger, which uh, Ash then uses to impale her. After this, uh, Ash takes her body to the woodshed, and he tries to dismember her with a chainsaw. But right before he does. He finds himself unable to do it, and he ends up uh, burying her instead. And I like this uh, this aspect of it, showing that you know, uh, uh, I like them actually showing emotion with the characters. Them, you know, uh, even though they know that they're possessed, and this is what they got to do, they can't find it in themselves to do it to these people that they loved. And so, you know, he, he ends up burying her instead. No, I mean, that's I, I one of the things that we've seen in films, uh, I would say, in the horror genre, is that when you have a situation similar to this one, it's that character's, you know, internal crisis is that when they have to you know, like one of the films we saw from Dustle Dawn, the Gecko Brothers, when the character played by George Clooney has to essentially take out his, his brother who's a vampire. It's like, I have to do this, but you're having that internal crisis. Like, I'm literally going to kill somebody I love right now. Yeah, it's it really makes you like, you know, put yourself in those characters' shoes and it's like, you know, would you be able to do do what they need to do or would you act like them and I mean I, I probably wouldn't I wouldn't be able to I'd tell you that much oh uh, so after Ash Ashbury's Linda she ends up rising from the grave and attacking him and 
probably what he should have done in the first place. He ends up is being he is forced to decapitate her with a shovel. Wow. Yeah, I mean, and before that, he whoops her ass with like this massive two by four. It looked like a it looked like an eight by sixteen. I mean, this you know, and he's swinging this piece of I don't know if it was lumber or if it was like a like aluminum. It from what I read, it was like a foam piece uh, that they used because uh, they also used it on the bridge. Some of the pieces of the bridge that fall earlier are are the same pieces, and it's, apparently it's like reused pieces from an old set uh, of a of an old short film that same Sam Raimi did before this. Which it, which explains a lot because if it's foam, it's easy to move. But when you see it on camera, it looks like a you know it looks like a like a metal like siding, like a metal pole, and just he's swinging around and he's going to work on her. But man, I said it looked. The, the way it was done and with how big it looked like, it looks like, you know, that he was the strongest man in the world because he's swinging like it weighed nothing, which obviously if it's foam, it doesn't weigh anything. But yeah, he ended up, um, I guess, I think it's one of those things where it's just like finally kicked in his head. is like, you know what? This ain't going to work. This, this girl got to go. Yeah. He, uh, yeah, he finally learned that, that, you know, there ain't no saving them. They have to, Get rid of them. So, uh, Ash returns to the cabin, and he ends up finding that Cheryl has escaped from the cellar. And so, he arms himself with a shotgun, and he ends up finding Cheryl outside, and he shoots her in the shoulder. But then, uh, Ash descends into the cellar to search for more shotgun shells. I mean, come on, man. You gotta make sure you have ammo before going out there. But, uh, and he, he he barricades the doors, you know, so she can't get in. But while he's in there, he starts hearing voices, and he sees blood seeping through uh, a, a, a crevices and openings in the walls. Some spring break this turned out to be. Uh, after this, uh, Cheryl ends up. You know, breaking through the door and a demonically possessed Scotty ends up trying to kill Ash as uh, Shell breaks through the door. During their fight, though, uh, Ash sees that the Book of the Dead has fallen near the fireplace and is starting to burn. As are Cheryl and Scotty. So, like, when the Book of the Dead is burning up, Cheryl and Scotty are as well. So Cheryl raises a fireplace poker to impel Ash, but uh, Ash ends up snatching the book and he throws it into the fire completely. And with the book burnt uh, all the way, Cheryl and Scotty fall apart and they die as the sun rises. We then see our, our lone you know, hero, Ash, heading outside. And as right outside, uh, 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 we mentioned this before, but like all throughout the film, uh, and it, you'll see like a, a shot like you saw at the beginning where this unseen like evil force or whatever you want to call it demonic spirit entity whatever uh, is like speeding through the woods and uh it's, it's really cool how that was shot too because it's like from what i read basically sam raimi and bruce campbell put like a uh a camera on, on a four by four and they just ran like through the woods <laughs> with it <laughs> which is really cool <laughs> i can i can i would love to see footage of them doing that but uh, 
uh, Ash is outside, and we see that unseen evil, uh, uh, evil force sequence speeding through the forest. It, it ends up breaking through the doors of the cabin, and it uh, descends upon uh, Ash. Uh, as the film's ending, uh, Ash turns around, and he screams in terror right before the film cuts to the end credits. And that's the Evil Dead. So two things to add. Um, the first one is the ending of the final deaths of um, that would at the end of it with when the book burned up, and then even before that, man, there is so much um, blood, and which you know that part was fine, but when the book starts burning and the bodies fall apart. I don't know what they were doing, but like, I think they use like grits or oatmeal or cream of wheat on um, when Scott, when Scott was falling apart. Cause you see something like oozing out of his hands. I was like, is that oatmeal? Like, what is that that they're using? That looks just weird. And then when, um, and then when, you know, Cheryl, same thing, and you see like hands, you know, burst out and just ashes just drenched in all this fake blood. And I mean, it was very gory, um, especially that end, like that ending. Like, I think, I feel like they shot it and they were like, you know what? This wasn't enough. This wasn't enough. You know, we needed more blood. We needed more goreness because that ending was just, it reminded me of, um, I think it was that like house of a thousand corpses where you just see like just some of those scenes that were like, you know, just so much blood that was used um, or fake blood. And then the, the cameras you mentioned that I read the same thing was that uh, one aspect when the, there's a scene on water that Sam Raimi was like on a, like on a raft and basically was like leaned over, as the raft was like being pulled so you can get this, this shot of the camera over the water. But other than that, they basically put a camera on the two by four and they were running through the woods. And, you know, nowadays everybody's, you know, seen like behind the scenes, you know, they have their special equipment that's used to get those type of shots. That's basically like a camera on a, like on a, on a, like on a track. But for that to happen, I could tell you, they cannot give me that job because I would have fell in three, at least three or four times in the first five minutes and broken that camera. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm super clumsy. Yeah. I definitely, yeah, definitely would have, there wouldn't be a movie because the camera would have been fucked. I would have fallen immediately. <laughs> Especially like running through the, like we're, this we're going to running through the woods. I'm like, so running on uneven ground where you can have, you know, tree trunks and broken branches and rocks and, you know, yeah, that, that camera would have been broken at least four times. But I mean, it's a really cool sequence and I, I, I really like it. And it's, it's even, I even like it even more knowing the backstory of how that's, how, how they, how they made that shot happen. It makes me appreciate it more. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's just in the way, the way it was, the way that they're able to do it, there is no way that you could tell me that was a person that was doing that. No, ain't no way. Uh, well, uh, 
any final thoughts, uh, Jar? You know, it was, um, like I said, it was a very quick watch. I, this is probably, I, I don't, I'm a more of a slasher fan. You know, everybody kind of, you know, that has heard me is that I'm a huge fan of slasher films. It's my favorite horror genre. I'm not really into like the, the like the zombie, you know, zombie or in this one, like demonic possession. For me, though, I can tell you watching Evil Dead. Um, I've I've enjoyed this a lot more than I enjoyed The Exorcist. I found it just, you know, I know everybody's like The Exorcist is the greatest horror film of all time or especially that genre. They just think it's amazing. I don't know if maybe Exorcist was built up too much for me, but. I really enjoyed, our, our, you know, Evil Dead. And if we're going to that demonic type position, you know, if you say it, like that genre, I just, I enjoyed it more than I would watch The Exorcist. I thought, I just think it's a, uh, the way it's done and the concept of it is better for me. I, I find it more enjoyable. Um, when we start, getting into the sequels of like evil dead 2 especially army of darkness and we can see the lighter side of bruce campbell i think that's really where he comes into his own um but as a straight just horror film with no comedy i think it was you know it's well done i just think the one thing i would add though is that it doesn't allow any character to stand out even as Bruce Campbell is like the final guy, which is kind of weird because I really don't, I really don't feel like I haven't seen that many final guys, and he's the the final guy. The other thing I'll add, and I forgot to mention this earlier, the there is an Evil Dead musical that's out there that that looks like, and I think it's back touring. At one point, it was on Broadway. When I years ago, at this point now, it's over seven seven and a half years ago the first time i went to vegas um they had the evil dead musical at planet hollywood and i got a chance to see evil dead the musical and it was if you've never seen it and you enjoy evil dead i highly recommend that you find the musical um if it's coming to a town near you because it is touring um as things are starting to open back up uh, and it it's pretty funny the way that that they developed the musical part of it i'll have to check that out uh i i knew about it but i've never personally seen it myself so i'll definitely have to try and, and, and find a sat, performance of that we sat in the front row and when it was in Vegas and Planet Hollywood, and I think actually it's no longer in Vegas. I was, as we were talking, I was looking it up to see if it's still there because uh, it left Planet Hollywood then went to another location and it looks like it's not around anymore. Um, the beginning, I, I, I wish I remember the name, but I feel it's called like the Splatter Zone. And man, all of a sudden from the ceiling, characters, they would throw blood on you. Fake, warm blood. And like my they gave us shirts to wear because like oh you're in a splatter zone like you get a free shirt it was a white shirt by the end of the night that shirt was soaked in red and so it was it was, it was pretty cool concept on how they did it 
Yeah, that's that sounds freaking awesome. Um, I, I, I hope I can see it one day. Maybe I'll get lucky and somebody will perform it around when, when performances happen again. Because that definitely sounds amazing. I don't know. Maybe I can find it online. I don't know if somebody has a... Maybe there's somebody recorded it but on YouTube. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah, from what I'm looking up, um, it looks like they're coming back. They um, There's a website called EvilDeadTheMusical.com. And June, they're in Kansas City. October, Portland. Uh, Baltimore. Uh Minnesota, Idaho, Louisiana. Um, so there's some different productions that it looks like they've got the theaters or a group has gotten the rights to do the the musical. Um, I don't know if it's the same as the one in the they did in Vegas in the sense of like oh we have they have this this flatter zone or whatnot. But man, I said it was a it's just very interesting because. It's, it's more ba- it is based on the original because they have they as we'll, in evil dead 2 it's essentially only two characters so it's based off the original but just seeing how they add in like the the comedic side into it and singing is just very is it's a very cool aspect that's that's awesome i'm uh i'm, I'm glad to hear it's still touring so hopefully hopefully i'll be able to catch a performance maybe maybe it'll come a little closer. I'd even probably be willing to drive to Nashville, which is like two hours away from me, just to go see that. But yeah, I'll definitely check that out if it comes anywhere near me. Uh, let's see here. Uh, I guess appropriately, we're gonna we'll use Book of the Dead uh, as a rating scale. Uh, so, like, out of five Book of the Deads, uh, what would you rate this, Jar? Um. For me, I would give it four out, four and a half out of five, which is I think one of my higher ratings I've given. I, it loses half a point because of the unnecessary uh, scene in the woods. Um, but from the practical effects standpoint, from all the work that the cast and crew did, um, I think the acting, you know, for the parts that were in there, I think was done very well, especially when they turned into um, deadites. It just the the dialogue they had was amazing. It, it would, and I enjoyed um, Bruce Campbell even in this limited final guy role. It would be interesting how they would have done a sequel based off their based off this original because Evil Dead Two is not a sequel off the original. It is a as we mentioned earlier, it's a it's a reboot or you said the word a requel, a reboot sequel. Um, but it would be interesting to see how they move this, would have moved this storyline with with this group of characters and this um, iteration of Ash. So, um, but I, I think it is it is one of the uh, there's especially after Exorcist, there's so many demonic possession films out there, and um, I think this is by far one of the best ones that out there. And I, like I said, it's the most enjoyable one that I've seen. Oh yeah, yeah. I couldn't agree more. Uh, I, uh, you know, like I said before, this is one of my one of my favorite movies. It's uh, definitely my top ten favorite horror films. Uh, this movie made Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell's launch their career. Uh, 
I mean, honestly, besides the unnecessary scene in the woods, that's the only my only gripe with the movie. So, I got to give it a perfect five out of five. Book of the Dead's. I, I I really can't. This is like one of the best. This is probably the best one of the best cult films that there is, like down to a T. A lot of love and hard work went in making this film, and it, it paid off, and it spawned an amazing franchise that I can't wait to go over more more later on and cover the rest of them because I love the Evil Dead franchise. It's 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 so great. Uh, but man, especially Bruce Campbell, man, this movie made made us made a horror icon in Ash Williams. Uh, really, I, I can. Uh, really, not not enough good things I can say about this movie. Just if you haven't seen it, I don't know why you're listening. If you haven't seen it, but make sure you watch it ASAP. Yeah, I would actually. For me, it's um, after watching this, I would love to when we eventually get to it to do compare it to Evil Dead too because. I think it's a fair comparison to compare Evil Dead 2 as essentially a reboot to the original, but also the remake in 2013 to the original. Um, because what the reboot or the remake of Evil Dead 2013, man, that in its in its own way is pretty freaking terrifying too. Yeah, the uh if you haven't seen the remake, definitely watch the remake. It's, uh, I would arguably say that it's one of the best remakes I've ever seen. It's so fucking good. Um, for me, I would say, and I'll leave it at this on that part, is with the remake, and this was a part of, I, I think the person to probably blame would be uh, the Halloween franchise with Rob Zombie's Halloween that kicked off every single reboot possible. I feel like, um, I think that by far, I mean, just in my opinion, just destroys every other potential. I mean, Friday the 13th remake reboot was, I think was done very well. I, I enjoyed it, but I think out of all of them, I, the evil dead one was the one I found more enjoyable, but especially you know, when you compare it to the Child's Play, the Nightmare Nightmare on Elm Street, Rob Zombie's Halloween, um, and I'm sure there's other ones I'm I'm losing as I'm thinking about it. But yeah, that was just, I mean, there's there's scenes in that film that remake, and I was just like, good God, that is terrifying. Yeah, that remake is amazing. Love it. I can't wait to cover it on the show sometime. But uh, yeah, that was uh, that was our review of The Evil Dead. Uh, amazing film. Really encourage everybody to go out and uh, watch it if you haven't. Uh, any uh, any closing things before we wrap this up? It's starting to uh, starting to get warm out there. So as we get prepared for summer weather. Um, Make sure, um, you know, just stay safe because I know it was a very interesting, um, I give an analogy as I was watching um, somebody talk. It says, as, as we begin to come out, um, as things get back to a sense of normalcy, people, I think people have this 
in their mind it's they are basically feel like they've been on timeout for 13 months but you know as we come out of into this new normal there's things out there to be wary and one of the things is like hey when you come out and you want to take over summer go to the beach stuff like that just be conscientious of your surroundings because um whether it's everything from this i don't know why i'm getting into this but just because stuff that i think about like you know you know the sun and swimming in the ocean and things like that like there's still you know things we had to worry about before covid are still there so i know everybody kind of wants to go wild as they begin to you know as everybody's getting vaccinated and and restrictions are being lifted but hey don't go out there and go play in the pacific ocean because jaws may be in the water so just be careful that's all i just want to tell everybody like i want you to you know begin to have fun as we begin to get back to a sense of normalcy but there's still real life things out there to be worried about make sure you put on your sp f60 and just be careful because uh jaws didn't care that you were home for 13 months he'll still eat your ass <laughs> oh yeah yeah if you get out in the ocean watch out for jaws as jar said uh on top of on top of what general said you know go out there get vaccinated so we can get so we can get out of this and get back to our normal way of life uh if you do get vaccinated make sure you're still wearing a mask i mean I, there's kind of a there's kind of a but thing people seem to forget they think that they're just because they get got vaccinated they can just stop wearing masks but that's not it's not how it is you still gotta wear your mask so get get, get your vaccines get get back uh, uh wear your mask uh, so so we can all go out there and have fun I'm, a lot of us have a lot of stuff planned and i'm looking forward to uh, as we get closer to finally getting back to somewhat of the normal way of life again after being stuck inside and under a pandemic for over a year now. Uh, uh, we just want to thank uh, everybody who takes time to listen to us. If you've been here from the beginning or if you're a new listener, thank you so much for your support. Uh, you know, we couldn't do this without you. Uh, we appreciate it so much. So just thank you for listening, ch- checking us out. Thank you to everybody on the Slash and Cast Podcast Network. You know, <laughs> We love all of you. Uh, I listen to just just about everybody's shows uh, almost weekly. A lot of shows to keep up with, but it's worth it. Uh, check out uh, if you if you uh, haven't checked out any, any of the other shows on the network. Make sure you do, especially our friends Dead in Santa Carla and the Scream Queens, and any other ones uh, I may be leaving out. My friend uh, Rod from the Murder Moves podcast. Check out his his show sometime. Just uh, you know uh, take take time out and check out some shows on the podcast you haven't uh take a time listening we got some really great stuff i especially love uh crystal lake soldiers podcast that's my friend isaiah's uh, podcast and i'm hoping we'll have him on the show soon we would have had him already on the show but scott decided to fuck us with tcm2 which i'm um, hopefully we can plan to redo that show sometime soon oh he'll figure it out though oh uh, and uh, as always, uh, and of course, last but not least, thanks so much to our wonderful uh, uh, editor and my amazing, one of my amazing best friends, Carmen Childers, at CarmenChildersAVTech.com. Uh, check out his website, uh, pick up some merch from him. Uh, 
talk to find them on Twitter, say say nice things about them. Uh, hire them for your events. Uh, if you if you run shows, uh, wrestling shows, uh, church services, whatever, he can do it all. Uh, uh, hire him, hire him for your event, and help him out. And uh, as you know, everybody knows me and Jr. Are big wrestling fans. Uh, make sure you check out if you if you want to check out uh, if you're tired of of watching you know some of the major promotions. Check out indie, uh, indie wrestling. Indie, indie wrestling is like really is really where it's at to me. It's the the heart the heart of wrestling in a way. Uh, I mean, pretty much all your favorite wrestlers started out on the indies. Most of them did at least. You got to start somewhere, and that's where you got to start. Uh, I highly recommend checking out my favorite indie promotion, uh, New South Pro Wrestling. You can find them on Twitter at New South underscore PW uh, on Twitter at that, and you can check out their weekly show action clash on Tuesdays on IWTV that's action clash on IWTV.com uh, and it's uh, on Tuesdays at 7 o'clock uh, central uh, and all, as always follow us on Twitter on Twitter at Trigger Treat Pod that's that's all the plugs I have currently uh I'll let I'll let you you finish off with your plugs, Jar. But next week we we won't have a new episode. Uh, we're taking the week off because, as Jar said before, it's his uh, it's your birthday uh, your birthday week. Uh, uh, aren't you going to Vegas, Jar? Yeah. So um, one of the things is as things begin to, I myself and am fully vaccinated. And, you know, as things I, an age where I want to ex- just go out and I am experiencing. So I'll be, uh, Vegas is the area where I feel comfortable at, um, which is weird because it was like, well, there's a lot of people. It's just, uh, the way I, I do Vegas different than most people, because I like to do a lot of, I'm big into sports and sports betting. And when you're in Vegas, I can just bet it come from my phone. And, um, you know, I like there's certain places I like to go eat. And, you know, for the most part, I, um, you know, in the casinos and I'll for, if, for just I'll throw it out there for anybody who's curious, you know, currently right now. And this would be the third time I've been to Vegas since October. You know, people are really disciplined. I mean, a lot of people are doing the social distancing, staying in their groups, wearing masks. There's even on the strip, like there's a lot of people who are mask walking outside on the strip that they technically don't have to. And I just think it's part of it is there's a a big contingent of people who they understand the situation and they want to get back to their, to, and they're doing the precautions as they try to get back to their a sense of normal. And I keep saying a sense of normalcy because we're our old normal is completely gone and we're getting a new normal. So going, getting the chance to go out there and, you know, taking the, you know, the right precautions and um, even as I'm fully vaccinated and uh, it's exciting, you know, get a chance to, uh, I will actually be going to my first wrestling event since November, 2019. And I'm excited to see my first wrestling event um, since November, 2019 and get a chance to, you know, celebrate you know my birthday i've never really been big into my birthday because i've always been more about everything else whether it's going on vacations and trips but uh i just felt like 
it, you know, there wasn't a whole lot going on and taking a weekend trip would be worth it. So, but with that being said, we do have, um, when we come back, we do have some couple of good shows. Uh, one, I know that we're bringing a guest in and the other one we're going to cover. Uh, and I picked this because as you and I have our love of wrestling, this was uh, a film that we picked is celebrating its 15 year anniversary as being one of the first um, introductions by WWE into filmmaking and it is the 2006 film that starred uh, the WWE Hall of Famer Kane as Jacob Goodnight in See No Evil. And this would be fun because this, in my opinion, was not a good film. And I can't wait for us to go through this and watch it and tear it apart. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. See, I, 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 I haven't watched it in a long time, but when I did watch it, I didn't really enjoy it that much. But I will tell you, I love the sequel. Oh yeah, and that's the one thing that I did get. You know, when we did our 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 bonus episode about sequels, I was I wanted to acknowledge it because one of the things, um, anytime a sequel outdoes its predecessor, I think is amazing. And granted, Sino Evil has a very low bar, but taking the whole low bar and jumping over it by at least thirty feet is. Um, I just thought it was pretty amazing the sequel, but eventually I, I would love to, you know, for us to get into that, you know, covering the sequel because one of our favorite actresses, Daniel Harris, is in it. Um, but we, I, you know, how I am with my dates, you know, anniversaries and doing the originals before we get into the sequel. So, um, and plus, I don't think we've really gone through and ripped apart a film in a while. So I think this would be a fun one to do. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. I think the last one we ripped apart was uh, that fucking awful Black Christmas movie. Oh, yeah, that was. Yeah, so it's been about six months. So, yeah, it's time. We're due for another one. Yeah, I can't I can't wait. It's going to be fun. But uh, but yeah, uh, thanks everybody for uh, for listening. Uh, tune in uh, next time uh, for See No Evil. It won't be next week, but it'll be the week after. Just pay attention to our Twitter. We'll keep you updated. But, uh, yeah, hope everybody has a good night, good morning, good afternoon, whatever time it is you're listening to this. And uh, with that being said, it's time uh, we must have bid you adieu. Goodbye. Goodbye. Stay creepy. Bang. <laughs>